Hey, welcome to the first episode of the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast. My name is Adrian, and I grew up right here at Crossroads, and now I serve on staff here as part of the online campus ministry team with Andy Tier, and we host this podcast together as part of our online campus community. Yeah, and we've launched this podcast as a way to look into the life of the church as a whole and to point out some practical ways that we can live out the church's mission in our daily lives. We're also going to celebrate the ways that we see people in the church already living and loving like Jesus. Yeah, hopefully we'll just bring another perspective to life here at Crossroads. So if you have questions or a topic that you would like us to discuss, please send them to us and you can text us at 812-432-1820 or you can email us at online at cccgo.com. Yeah, so right now we're going to start this episode by speaking with our lead pastor, Phil Heller, about the church's mission statement as we kick off this conversation by asking him how we arrived at the phrase, living and loving like Jesus. We were trying to discover, like, where are we going as a church? So I joined the team in June and just began having that conversation with the elders and with the leadership team. And saying, like, you know, what's God calling us to as a church? We have history. We're a 53-year-old church. And uh, what we also recognize is the church is not our idea. It's God's idea. And so we actually began with that question, like, what does the church exist to to do and be? And um, asking more, like, what's God's mission for the church instead of what's our mission? And as we landed on that, just really recognizing that God's mission for the church is the same reason he sent Jesus here to reconcile people to him, to restore that relationship. And so we began thinking, well, how can we play a role in that? And what really captured our hearts was this idea that God is sending us like he sent Jesus to the world. And and he has given us this ministry of reconciliation, as how Paul said it. And to be effective in that or just to to follow the example of Jesus seems like the best way to do that. If if that was Jesus' mission and it's the church's mission, then he's probably a good example to follow. And so that's really how it crystallized to say what we should really do in our lives as individuals, collectively as a church, is live like Jesus, love like Jesus. We felt like that might be the best way to participate in the mission that he's called us to. So somebody said, you're like, you know, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And that's what we really want to position ourselves in. And so we began kind of like, what does that look like? How can we flesh that out? How can we equip people to live and love like Jesus? How can we do that instead of just talk about it? Part of that vision, if you we break it down, um, there's those three guiding principles, the dependence on God, making disciples, and gospel transformation. Let's just start unpacking those. Um, I'll start with dependence on God. Sure. All three of those came from us looking at the life of Jesus and saying, what are some of the characteristics, what are some of the qualities of Jesus' life and his love that we could emulate? Really what kind of came, you know, kind of elevated out of all those different ways we looked at it were these three principles. And we kind of looked at it saying, okay, do these kind of sum up the life of Jesus uh, and, and, and our ways that we could kind of follow in that? So this dependence on God, I mean, I love... Jesus' statements about his relationship with God. He, it's obvious that God loved his son. I mean, the Bible says that, but it's also there's this really cool perspective of how dependent Jesus was on God, even though they are the same. And, you know, that's a, another podcast. We'll unpack the great mystery of the Trinity, right? But like the fact that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same, and yet Jesus in his earthly life was just con- 
completely um, open about his dependence on God. He says statements like, the, the son can do nothing without the father. Um, you see Jesus going to the mountaintop to pray. Uh, he spends you know hours or even a whole night praying before uh, he chooses his disciples or before he feeds the 5,000, some of those moments. And so you just get this picture like, he doesn't do anything without the Father. And so if we're going to live in love like him, it's probably a great place to start. And ironically, that uh, dependence on God was kind of three on the list. And when we started looking back through it and kind of fleshing it out more, we realized, no, we, that really needs to be first. That re- that's, that's the place we need to start. And um, so helping ourselves like kind of posture our heart with this first place, like God, our life centers on God. And that's where we find our strength, our purpose, our direction, our identity, individually and collectively. And how can we grow in our dependence on Him? How does the vision that you've stated and then those guiding principles, how do we apply those as filters to the ministries of Crossroads? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that work together? Yeah, that's great. One example that would be in our weekly worship services right now. One of the areas that we're trying to exhibit a dependence on God is not making everything so rigid and programmed. Uh, we actually, on our run sheet, call it a flex time. And basically what that means is we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead in those moments. We don't have a song plan. We don't have a script for the host or the worship leader to use. Uh, we're just asking the Holy Spirit to lead in that moment. Now, that's different from how we operated even maybe seven or eight months ago. And that's one example of like, okay, in this moment, we're going to just be completely dependent on God. We don't know where He'll take this moment, but we trust Him. And we're kind of going to flex this muscle of dependence on God to live that out. Um, this whole exercise of like finding our vision and mission and, and these guiding principles, like we came to that retreat with a blank piece of paper. We didn't come with like, here's, the, here's where you'd like to end up and let's convince the elders of that or let's, uh, let's just kind of ram this down somebody else's throat. Uh, we came with a blank page saying, God, show us. And uh, for me, that was a big stretch in dependence on God, even though we didn't have this guiding principle labeled. Uh, that was an exercise of dependence on God. And um, I think that some of the big prayers that we're praying uh, is another expression of that. Like we're trying to to lay out in front of um, God, w- w- like these heart cries and watching him work instead of going, these are really goals and we're going to execute this strategy and it all adds up over here with these metrics. That's certainly a part of, of a life of an organization and of a church. But superseding that is that we're asking God to do some big things and praying those, laying those out in front of our staff and congregation and our elders so that they kind of know what we're depending on God for and then watching watching that work. But that's just some of the ins and outs kind of off the top of my head, some moments that I know we're, we're trying to, to grow this muscle of dependence on God. And um, the more it's out of our control, I think the more dependent uh, we are on God. I'm not prescribing chaos, like, oh, we just sit around and kind of wait on God, that we don't do anything, you know, until He tells us to. I mean, there is a sense of He's already given us clear pictures of where we should be working and living and moving, um, but also we're, we're trying to walk in step with Him, right? Even this morning in my quiet time, I was reading about Balaam, and like that whole story is just so wild of how he depends on God in that moment. Like Balak has hired him to cast out the curses, you know, and he's like, I only say what God wants me to say. And uh, so in my journal this morning, that's what I wrote. God, help me to only say what you want me to say. And um, 
I hope that that's what happens on the weekend when I'm teaching, that only the words of God come out. I'm certainly human and, and fallible, so I, that's where I'm growing, growing and, and trying to utterly depend on God. Well, since we're talking about weekend worship services right now, um, how about those other two guiding principles? How do um, making disciples and gospel transformation, how, how does our weekend worship service, how does it impact or how is it impacted by those guiding principles? Yeah. For making disciples, I would say I look at our weekend gatherings as a training session more than a rallying cry or, or a pep rally. I mean, I want it to be a, a place where people are encouraged and strengthened but sent out to go and live like Jesus and love like Jesus, right? And so when, I, when I'm looking at Scripture, I'm really trying to think about how can each of us grow in that? What do we need to know? What do we need to understand? What do we need to practice to, to live that out? And so I kind of see it as a sending session every weekend when we gather. And so we want people to have an experience with God, encounter God in a, in a very meaningful, authentic way. But we also wanted to kind of be with a purpose that sends them out as disciples. And, you know, a disciple is somebody who's learning from a teacher, but also is helping disciple others. I think, I don't think you can separate those. So as we're sent out as God's, uh, Jesus' disciples, hopefully we're having that influence uh, in the lives of other people. Um, so we're trying also to equip people, whether it's through the weekend uh, experience or just in any practical way for them to live out this faith and uh, to be you know contagious in their faith in, in that way so I, I guess the weekend service is not so much like come and see what we're going to do this week as much as like come and learn and grow and feel compelled and, and even challenged to go and live this way in the next seven days um, and to practically apply what we're under, what we're coming to understand through scripture as far as the third guiding principle, I mean, uh, gospel transformation, we really see that as the impact Jesus made in the world around him, right? So we weren't saved to sit on a pew. We weren't saved to just go to heaven. Uh, we were actually saved to be the light of Christ in the world where, around us. And so that gospel transformation is important for us to think about how did Jesus love? How did he live? But how did that have a ripple effect around him? And it's centered in the gospel, that the gospel is not just... I made it to heaven, you know, I don't have to go to hell. The gospel is life transforming. I mean, it changes everything about us in the here and then uh, in the there, you know. And so um, how that transforms, hopefully, our families, our neighborhood, our community, our world is all kind of the ripple effect of what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life. And when we are being transformed by the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves us, he saved us, he has purpose for our life, we can find our identity in him. When we are, are centered on that, it should spill out in, in influencing the lives of others around us. And, and that means tangible needs. It loves people who, uh, you know, the world might say are unlovable. It, it reaches across the aisle. It, it reaches across the driveway. It, it goes to places where um, maybe others wouldn't want to go. It compels us to do that because we realize the change that's happened in our life. And it changes our priorities. It changes our the way we interact with others. I hope it changes the way I view others, you know, whether that's the person in line in front of me at Walmart or in front of me on the Lloyd Expressway or, you know, irritating me at the BMV, wherever it might be. I hope because of what Christ means to me, it's changing the way 
I treat people, I view people, and hopefully the way I love people. Yeah, Phil, one of the things I like about just as I'm listening to you answer that question is that you use a lot of we language. Okay. And I, I this may go without saying, but I feel saying, but I feel like as you're saying that, you're saying the we in relation to the church body as a whole, not just to the church leadership, right? I feel like sometimes as we come in and and sit in the weekend worship services as congregants, sometimes there can be a little bit of a temptation or a thought process that thinks, you know, um, some of this is for church leadership when it comes to gospel transformation and making disciples and things like that. But as you're saying we, it sounds like you're really including the entire church in that. Mm. I do. I, I kind of picture it as a as a, an individual first, like not so much collectively as the body of Christ, but a, a you know a, a gathering of all these individuals who are actually living this way. Um, I think that's probably the only way that we ever can kind of make a shift is that we're all actually living this out individually, and we share that collectively. And certainly that includes me as as the the lead pastor. It includes our leadership. It includes our elders and and everyone on staff, but it also includes every person who calls Jesus Lord and Savior, right? And so um, that's maybe the way I view it is like, if we can all do this individually, we're actually doing it collectively. It kind of takes casting out a vision uh, in front of all of us so that all, all of us can yearn to that. And we all might be at different points with that individually. But the we part of that is like, we have a common vision, we have a common direction, and we're all trying to sharpen each other as we kind of work that way. I love that statement, like we're just one beggar helping another beggar find bread, right? And um, that's kind of the we part of it. Uh, that's that's an aspect of the weekend when we gather, we're celebrating this common journey that we all have. We we don't live in a commune, so we all have independent addresses, independent workplaces, independent lives. And so when we come together, we can celebrate that there is something we share, and obviously that's God's love for us and our love for Christ and how we're trying to live that out and you know, sharpen each other, hold each other accountable, encourage each other. Probably my favorite thing to do is just to celebrate when I see that happen, right? Just to celebrate these individual stories of people who are living this out. And yeah, it's even so much better when it's not somebody who gets paid to do it, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, uh, so you're saying that this this church vision of living and loving like Jesus and these guiding principles, um, the true hope, the, the true goal is that this would be individualized and that each person within the church then would take this on as a life vision for themselves, that individually we would want to live and love like Jesus, and that these three guiding principles can be useful in our daily life then, right? For sure. Absolutely. That's where it, that's where it makes the most impact. That's, where, that's really what I feel like my job is, is to help that individual live that out. Um, and we do that, like I said, collectively. As we're teaching through the book of John, when in that moment where uh, Jesus cleanses the temple, that was really transforming in my mind. I've, I've known that moment in Jesus' life for a long time, but as this kind of transition was happening, like it's no longer about the specific place where people gather and God's glory kind of res- resides there and, and is restricted to there. Um, it's about Jesus, who is then, you know, the temple. He's saying that about himself. And then this 
imagery of that we individually are the temple of God, and then collectively we're the temple. I mean, it, it's not a one or the other, it's both. But so many times I think in churches, especially the size of our church, we can kind of celebrate the t- the the mass of it, you know, the the uh, the the two thousand, three thousand gathering of it, and mm-hmm. kind of miss this individual uh, side of it. And it's also dangerous to go the other way. It's also in the, it, it dangerous to make it so much me and I oriented, right? That it's like, well, it's just all about me and my needs. I mean, that's caused a, a lot of decline in the church by people just thinking it's all about them, right? And no, the, the church is all about God and His mission and how I can play a, a role in that and how we do that together. So I wanted to actually latch on to that celebration aspect. There's a lot of things that we as staff, we celebrate, we talk about each weekend. Uh, I would like to know from your perspective, maybe those more behind the scenes stories of people really taking on this this vision for themselves. And how have you seen some either people or staff um, or even groups of people kind of take this on? Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is on Monday to write some handwritten notes. I try to uh, keep a track of people I meet along the way on a weekend. I write sometimes some cryptic notes on the back of my sermon notes, like what they might be wearing or what their hair color is to try to chase down their first and last name on a Monday morning. Try to um, do that. But uh, one of those guys is a guy named Rich, who actually his, uh, the way I met him is he rolls the TV out on the stage uh, every weekend. Or He's one of our stage managers or stage hands. And so one of the things I like to do, and people might notice this, I love just to talk to the people who are bringing out the table or the or the uh, TV. And Rich is a Alabama Crimson Tide fan, so it was football season. So, yeah, I would say to something like to him on a Saturday, like, "I'm really jealous you're leaving now to go watch a football game." You know, I had to preach, and he was done with his service, so he was at, actually he usually stuck around for the rest of the the service, but. One time I just invited him to coffee. We actually grabbed some breakfast, just heard his story. So he has a a, a seminary degree from Dallas Theological, um, lost his wife about five years ago, is raising his adult children on his own, and um, just listening to what uh, this church means to him, listening to how he's trying to live that out in his life outside of this place. And here's a man with a seminary degree who's simply just rolling out the TV on stage and making sure things are taken care of. He very well could preach the sermon, um, but instead what he's doing is just he's serving in a way that he just, I asked him, like, how'd you get into being a stage? And he said, well, they just said one time they needed some help and I, I'm capable, so I, I volunteered to help. So I asked him, I said, would you mind helping in some other ways? And he's like, like what? I was like, would you mind reviewing my sermon? So he's one of uh, several people I send my sermon to every week, and he gives me some feedback, um, encouragement or coaching or like, I don't think you've said the right verse. It's actually this verse, whatever it might be. That's, that's one story. Um, we had a funeral here to, last night at the church, and I watched a friend of the mom of this little girl who passed away just served that family extremely well. She was, um, you know, here all day, making sure everything was in place and in order. And she was doing that out of the love of friendship, but she was also doing that out of the love of, of who Jesus is in her life. And uh, I, I could see how much of a difference it made in that young mom and dad who are grieving, something that none of us would ever want to happen in our life or sign up for. And so as I saw Sarah serving just behind the scenes, um, if you would have said her name, probably no one would have known all the things that she had done over the past week, actually over the past several months, as she just walked with this family. 
I got one more. There's a, a friend named Susan. Uh, she came, saw me in the atrium a couple weeks ago. She said, Pastor Phil, Pastor Phil, I, I want you to meet this couple. This is their first time here, and I want them to meet my pastor. And that just meant a lot to me that she was kind of proud of me. You know, like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's sweet. And so yeah. I just met this couple, had a, a quick conversation. It literally was their first time here at Crossroads. And they were trying to kind of sneak in, just just kind of be a little bit, you know, <laughs> anonymity was kind of their friend that day, but not when they met Susan. She just loved them and uh, wanted them to feel connected, wanted them to feel at home. And uh, that just really was really sweet. I loved, I loved seeing that. Phil, can you also talk for just a minute about how you've seen some of the fruit of the vision already and the guiding principles? You know, it feels early in the game for that, but I guess the first thing I would say is it seems like people have this yes response to it. Like, I've been a part of a lot of vision casting and coming up with a vision and mission statement and all that stuff, and literally there are sometimes I've worked the hardest to try to even get people to remember it, and they're like, what's our vision and mission? Or like they say it wrong, or like it just kind of falls flat. And um, I guess one of the ways that I, first of all, realized and recognized it's from God is that it, it's not taking any of us that much to convince people that this is what God's calling us to. People just like, they say things that like, yeah, I mean, they, the first word sometimes when they hear it, they're like, they just start nodding their heads and say, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what we should be doing. And there's been the other reactions like, really? I mean, you guys went on a retreat and came back with living love like Jesus? I mean... Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? And I say, yes, that's the point. You know, I mean, (laughs) it it shouldn't be that confusing, right? And so some of it is just I feel the swell among our, our elders, among our staff, and among people who just unsolicited say, like, that's an example of living in love like Jesus, or they pray it. They say, God, help us to live in love like Jesus. So in some ways, it feels like it's it's caught or it's it's catching, I should say. Um, I think it's becoming a filter through which people view their lives. Um, you know, uh, people are saying like, you know, in somewhat sarcasm, like, you know, well, that's not the way Jesus would live or love, you know, and that to me means that it's taking root a little bit. It's some, it's becoming something that feels so much like our culture that when we are, are, are looking for is or isn't it, it, it becomes kind of a, a filter to look look through. Um, you know, some of the examples I just gave, that's me maybe uh, looking back and kind of projecting that is the way Jesus lives. That is the way Jesus loves. And that's something I'm trying to just build into my vernacular. You know, when, um, when I say things to people to encourage them, I try to say like, thanks for living and loving like Jesus. That's the way Jesus loved. Or man, I see Jesus' life in you. Um, Those are ways I'm trying to support it and affirm it and encourage it, Um, recognizing just people's story. Something we're trying to get better in is helping people share their story and, and to celebrate those stories. Just this past weekend, watching a couple baptisms in one moment where this guy just shared his story, story of imprisonment, story of just living life not like Jesus, and the radical change he's he's seen in his own life as he has surrendered his life to to Jesus and is trying to live for him. He recognizes the difference, you know, and that like is, 
ding, 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 ding. You know, we, we've, we're, we're hitting the mark if, if people can recognize it in their own life. That's awesome. I know that um, as, as part of the staff, what I've seen is that there's been teams kind of constructed around each of these guiding principles. And, you know, we've started with this principle, like you said, the one that went from number three to number one, dependence on God. Can you talk a little bit about those teams, um, why they're formed, and then what actionable items have come out of those formations? Yeah, be happy to. So it started at the retreat that we had with our elders and lead team. So we actually took this brainstorming session and we have these, you know, large sticky notes around the room, all these aspects of like the life of Jesus and what it would look like to live that way. What are some actionable items from there? And so those, uh, you know, maybe four or five became these three. And these three kind of already had some recognized leadership from that retreat. So we kind of commissioned that group of people to take it and kind of crystallize some of the overall, overall thoughts of that, del- bring some deliverables as, as possibilities. And um, most of the primary leadership to that resided on the leadership team. That was the mechanism that would kind of help kind of flesh this out and, and live this out under the direction and oversight of our of our elders. And so we then began to ask the question, who, uh, who, who else could speak into this? And some of those people were people on staff and some of those people were not uh, staff members. And we tried to uh, have a, a good representation of that. And so as they began to flesh out like, okay, dependence on God, what does that mean? You know, uh, uh, making disciples, what does that mean? Gospel transformation, what does that mean? We kind of came up with a clarifying statement and then some uh, tangibles for this year. So under dependence on God, one of the things we recognized is we wanted to um, teach our staff what that looked like. And with each of those guiding principles, we chose a book that would be read in 2020 by our staff and and by others. We encourage anybody to join us on that journey. And so uh, that's one of the actionable things we we need to learn first in all three of these areas. And so uh, The Dependence of God, we chose this book by Peter Scazzaro, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We're reading that as a staff over the first four months of the year, trying to like understand what that looks like and to live that out. A teaching night was one of the ideas that came out of this dependence on God that we felt like this is an area that maybe there's some education that could really be helpful. And so having now uh, been through our first teaching night, we really felt like that landed well. It seemed like the people who showed up came hungry, anticipating learning. And I think didn't leave disappointed. Um, I feel like it was challenging. It was strong content, very practical and and applicable, and allow people to live that out. Um, I'll go to the other side now, this this gospel transformation, the the transform a village through child sponsorship was an idea that was already on the table uh, prior to even the retreat we had in August of 2019. But we also knew that it live that value out, that guiding principle out. And so we wanted to make sure that that was not just this random idea. Oh, wouldn't it be great to sponsor some kids in Africa? No, that that would be a tangible way that we could live and love like Jesus. That'd be a tangible way that we could grow in our dependence on God and we could grow as disciples, but it also would live out gospel transformation. And so that's kind of the, a tangible a deliverable out of that. We have kind of focused our attention in this first part of the year on the dependence on God value. I think there's lots of things that are coming out of that. Um, and you'll see some of the other things, you know, unfold as we get to this 
making disciples as we get to this gospel transformation. We haven't necessarily delayed anything, but we intentionally staggered them to not be overwhelmed um, and also maybe not uh, be confusing as we roll each of these guiding principles out. All right, thanks to Phil for speaking with us more about Crossroads Mission. Now, in the final portion of this episode, we will be talking with our Family Ministries pastor, Andrew Bondurant. And Andrew is a member of the lead team and preaching team at Crossroads, and we spoke with him about this year's study of the Book of John, the sermon creation process in general, and his own personal writing process. So we've brought you here today because our church has decided to walk through the book of John for this whole year of 2020. So we are wanting your your lead team perspective on that whole process. Why the book of John? Um, how did you guys come to that decision? Yeah. Yep. So uh, last September-ish, I think, we uh, got together with our elders, and we had a couple of days where we just got away and uh, started to wrestle through where is it the God's leading us as we move forward as a church, and uh, through a day of processing, it was really neat, because as we talked, um, the, the vision, mission thing that bubbled up was live and love like Jesus. So super simple, um, but um, one thing that just hit me immediately is it's simple, but it's not simplistic. So by that, I mean, like, it's something that I think I can start talking to my three-year-old about, but it's something I'm going to forever be trying to live out. And so coming out of that, uh, we then had the question of, okay, like what should we preach through this next year to maybe capture and build on or build towards this vision? And thankfully, um, the Bible's real simple. So there were four books to choose from that kind of walked through the life of Jesus. So if we're going to figure out how to live and love like Jesus, we decided to start with those. So um, I uh, got the opportunity to kind of walk through a couple of different books and put together a couple proposed series um, for what it would look like to walk through. And uh, as we got together as a team, um, the Gospel of John beat out the Gospel of Matthew in the final round. And so uh, we started to go with the Gospel of John and uh, just charted out a rough sketch of what a year in John would look like. Um, it was funny because you think a year in a book, like, ah, oh, you're hitting everything. But as we were wrestling through it, we're like, oh my goodness, this is so hard There's to so fit much, into 50, yeah. 52 weeks. But Yeah, definitely uh, not a problem. We thought we would have. That's yep. for sure. It's wild. You know, um, I was telling Adrian earlier, I was looking through the book of John and looking for descriptors of Jesus Christ for something else that I was working on. And it was very easy to come up with almost 30. Yeah. <laughs> so if I think of that versus the number of weeks in a year, and then just, it doesn't take much no, to add to that all. to come up to 52. Yep. Yeah, I think there were like 18 in the first chapter, like <laughs> descriptions of Jesus. So you get in that first chapter and you're like, we could spend quite a while in here. <laughs> that's awesome. I was curious as to why John beat out Matthew. Yep. Um, that's a great question. And uh, I don't know that there's a super scientific reason for sure, it. We sure. got together and uh, as we were wrestling through, we had actually just spent, now that I think about it, we had just spent 12 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, which is right there oh, in Matthew sure, yeah. 5 through 7. So uh, when we realized that um, I still made a push for Matthew because I love the gospel <laughs> of Matthew, but um, John won out and uh, I'm starting to like John a little more too. So cool. That's awesome. So maybe just explain where we are right now in that journey as a yeah. church. Like 
it's March, and we are what? <laughs> book, book three? Yep, yep. So uh, we just made it through chapter three this last weekend, so that was a big milestone. So we made two months, three chapters, um, but we'll make it through uh, the rest of it soon. But uh, this weekend, we're jumping into John 4, 1 through 16. Uh, it's funny because John 4 is one of those chapters where it's really just one story, um, but we're spending, the end has a little bit of a difference to it, but we're spending four weeks in this one chapter because... There's just so much to glean from it. So uh, we're at this point now where uh, Jesus is in his public ministry, but now he's starting to engage in, with some individuals. So we just saw Nicodemus, who's this super spiritual guy who's got all the credentials. And then this week we meet um, what is the cultural opposite of that with the Samaritan woman who uh, has been married five times and living with a new man now. And just it's a neat little interaction to see how Jesus kind of offers hope to both and uh, really shows the need uh, that they both have for Jesus. So we're jumping into this series. I think this is going to be week three of an invitation, which will lead us up until Easter. So yeah, cool. can we talk for just a minute I want, about some of that? I know we've already discussed the selection process, but what resources did you use yeah. going into that process as you had the four gospels to look at before we had selected just John? Um, what resources did you use to help you make that selection process. Yep. Yep. So, um, with, uh, walking through Matthew, um, I've studied through Matthew a lot, uh, in seminary and grad school. So I had a lot of resources on that. So I kind of already had a rough outline of what it could look like. Um, and then used uh, a couple of commentaries for Matthew. Um, but then whenever we walked through John, um, it's a super popular book. It's one that people are always like, Hey, new Christians start here. Um, which as I read it, sometimes at Twitter, my brain because I'm like, I can't wrap my brain around this. And I've been like spending my yeah. life trying to study this. But um, as I started to wrestle through it, uh, what I try to start with is a couple different translations and just try to work through what it looks like, how it seems to fit together. And then um, go to like some trusted commentaries or resources. Um, commentaries are just books that are kind of like study guides written by people that are a whole lot smarter than me. And so uh, one of the big things with commentaries is trying to like, is there something I'm missing that I wouldn't know? because I haven't spent 30 years studying Greek or uh, Second Temple Judaism or any of that stuff, the Judaism of Jesus' day. Uh, I haven't spent all of that time in that world. So are there things that I'm just completely ignorant of that I need to be aware of? Or um, are there things going on linguistically, like with the language that I just don't know about? So I've tried to wrestle through some of those things. Um, there are several great commentators out there. F.F. F. Bruce is one that's written stuff on almost like every New Testament book I I think, but he was a guy that uh, was really popular probably back in the 80s, maybe even earlier than that. He's got a ton of great resources. Leon Morris is another one that was writing in that same uh, type of uh, era. And then um, there's a bunch of others. D.A. Carson is probably my favorite uh, that wrote a, wrote a commentary on John. So I tried to just wrestle through some of those to uh, not dig deep, but just to look at outline structure type stuff to try to figure out how the book fits together. Is there one that really stood out as you were trying to parse John into 52 weeks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, Carson was helpful there. So D.A. Carson is a uh, research professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School up in Chicago area. And uh, he wrote a commentary in what's called the um, Pillar um, New Testament Commentary Series uh, several years ago. And it is uh, just incredibly well done in that it's pretty accessible. It's 
It's not like you have to be a Bible genius to understand it. Um, but he also interacts with some um, like critical thought with the book of John. And one of the things I loved, I read through some of his introduction and he um, just had the encouragement to people who are going to preach through this book. Don't get bogged down. So like we were talking earlier, like you got 18 titles in chapter one. If you try to wrestle through all these, like before you get <laughs> through the rest of the book, you're, you're going to miss an opportunity to preach these later on. Like just recognizing John kind of wrote and things that seems like continual rhythms. Like even now, like I'm in, I'm preaching this weekend. So I got John four and he's talking about this living water that he offers a Samaritan woman. Whereas just a chapter ago, he's talking about the need to have this new birth. And he's talking about the gift of the spirit. And he's uh, talking about the baptism of water and spirit. And he, so he wrestles through all these things and water appears just throughout the book of John. So some of those things where it's like, you could hit it right when it pops up, or you could wait until Jesus kind of sits there. Or John kind of sits there in the way he presents it. So Carson, yeah, I does think kind is of my favorite. repeat himself a little bit, doesn't he? Because <laughs> yep. as we've been studying it, um, and then as we are looking ahead at yep. the coming weeks, I start thinking, wait, I, we just had this discussion, <laughs> and I have to go back through my notes and then realize, oh no, wait, this is just a fresh perspective on some yeah. of that earlier teaching. Yep. You know, but um, so for for us kind of the uneducated masses that are, that are here and yes. we're trying to learn more about what it means to live and love like Jesus. Um, these references that you're, that, that you just mentioned, especially DA Carson's, it sounds like DA Carson might be a good place for kind of the every man yep. to start, right? Yeah. Uh, Carson's a good place. Uh, that is a little bit of a thicker commentary. So another great one is by FF F. Bruce. Uh, it, it's funny cause I think I got it, uh, for, $5.50 on Amazon, including shipping. So it's one that like, it's been around for a while, so you can get it used there. I found a copy the other day at Evansville what, used book warehouse. So if you haven't been there before, I went there the other day, they had a copy for $5. So it's one that's super so, accessible where you can find it wherever. Um, so it, it's one where, you know, if you're looking for a, a guide, um, Bruce isn't too thick. It's enough to where it's one I'm actually kind of reading devotionally this year. So I'm reading through the book of John over and over again, and it's written in small enough chunks that like, it's not like I'm chunking out an hour of commentary reading time to read through a daily chunk. If I take 15 minutes, I can read through at least a few verses, him kind of offering insights that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise. So That's neat. I remember another resource that we used the day that we sat down to kind of talk about this 52 week process uh -huh. was simply the gospel project. Huh, yeah. Remember? And it was, there's a poster that they developed yep. of the book of John that explains how the book of John is, is written and yep. it's written in segments <laughs> and then a simple flow. And that actually really helped me yeah. uh, because it's, it's very visual. Yep. yep. <laughs> so they walk through that visual on YouTube in two separate videos. Yep. Uh, I know that we've, watch them or show them a little bit here. So and we you can, can link check to that those, out. I yeah, think we'll link from to our that. um John twenty twenty on the on the website then. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So they've got a read scripture one that's designed for you to walk through um as you go. And then they also got the book overview one and they just they do great stuff in showing how it whole, it all fits together as one. You know, I think sometimes when we read our Bible, we do chunk it, like have, take such small chunks that we forget, oh, wait, this is one story, you know? And so I love the way the Bible Project helps bring that out. So I yeah. learned some from those guys. One that helped me as well, it's along the same lines, is the spoken gospel. So it's a more visual representation, but it's a modern take on it. There may be links to that through the YouVersion Bible app as well. Yes. 
Yep, it is crazy, okay. like, how many resources there are today. Like, yeah. we live in a day and age where it's not like you have to, like, go digging for gold to find solid resources. There's a lot of stuff that's maybe not the greatest, but it's not super hard. version makes stuff really accessible. Bible Project, pretty trustworthy. And a lot of times they'll even have recommended resources if you want to study deeper. So that's a great resource. Yeah, I know as we explore, like, other things online, there's resources like, um, what is it, Snopes or whatever. Like, there's these sites that kind of help you decide whether something is a reputable source mm -hmm. or something. So how do you decide if these resources are reputable sources? Mm -hmm. Because if we were just to go to Google and then start to look for some of this information, yeah. what, I, I think it, it could be very difficult to tell. Yeah. So uh, one website where I started going to um, probably 10 years ago is bestcommentaries.com. And they actually rank like commentaries on different books. And what's neat there is they even have like uh, different markers let you know what kind of resource this is. Is this like a technical one that like you want if you're in seminary writing a paper that may have nothing to do with what you actually communicate with people? <laughs> is this a devotional one? Is it a pastoral one? And if anything's marked as pastoral or devotional, it's usually pretty accessible. And so that helps uh, understand maybe what's reputable. I think one thing to always look out for is people that seem to um, come to an understanding that's brand new. Like if someone's claiming like, I just read the Gospel of John and I found something no one else has ever found. Well, um, that's kind of forgetting that like the same spirit's been working in the church for 2000 years, you know? And so like usually uh, it's not some brand new revelation. It may be that like there's light shown that, that we haven't seen before, but usually if it's a brand new interpretation, it's a dangerous sign, not, not something that we should uh, go chasing after. So <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. That kind of made me think of a question. Um, about the this overarching theme of John as we were talking, making sure we see it as a whole picture. Um, and each weekend we're we're so in the weeds and yeah. these specific stories. Is there anything that you want to almost communicate to the congregation uh, as like an overarching theme that we, you don't really get to say on the weekends because you're you have a specific passage assigned to you. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing I think is kind of interesting with John is he's almost so repetitive. You can almost come back to it anytime. Like one of the mm -hmm. things we talked about the first weekend of the year is John 30. I think it's 30 or John 20, uh, 30 and 31, that purpose statement where he says, I've written this, uh, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah, whatever, but that language there of belief. And he, he desires to have us come to believe and then experience life. And that's the thing that has just blown my mind as I've read through John is how, when you just look for those things, if you keep those things in mind as you're reading, it pops up everywhere. And so I think that's one thing is uh, just reading through a passage and looking for those keywords, you know, just try to find those words, whether you read through the first chapter and you're like, okay, what are the things that John seems to be pointing to as important throughout this book? And then as you read the rest of the book, just look for those things. Um, I, that was one of my favorite assignments I ever got in college was to read through a book in one sitting and write the reflections you have. And the thing you see there sometimes is like, oh, wow, like I would have never connected 
this thought to this thought had I not read through this in one sitting. You know, I remember reading through uh, the Gospel of Matthew was an example, and uh, I had a professor who had me read through it in one sitting, and I was terrified because I'm like, that's 28 chapters. So I chunked out a part of a Saturday one time and read through it. And what stuck out to me was the very beginning of Matthew starts out with a statement like, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And then it ends with Jesus saying, um, you know, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, <laughs> everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always. So that connection of God with us from the beginning to end of Matthew, part of the reason I was trying to get us to do Matthew is because I think that's a great picture, but the same thing can be seen in John, like starting in the beginning with this picture of Jesus coming as God in flesh and how that's just like carried throughout whenever he's like, the father and I are one, you know, like I only do what I see the father doing. So some of those themes where you just see like, uh, I don't know, whether it's life, belief, uh, any number of things, water pop up, just making those notes. Um, I think that's the the key is to keep those big ideas there. Um, because I mean, when you preach every week, sometimes you do, like if I just preached the major theme of the book every week for 52 weeks, that'd get kind of old, but (laughs) just trying to point back to that continually. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting just following along with like, and then this project that I was just working on life comes up over and over. Mm -hmm. And then even at the beginning when it was the word, you know, when it talks about Jesus being the word and then, and that everything was created through him, it takes us back to, to Genesis when God first breathed life into man. And then you go to the end of John and Jesus breathes into his disciples and, and gives them new life, you know, through the Holy Spirit. And it's just, wow, you just see the, those themes and those things and, and start to pick up. It's really fun. It's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that was something that stood out to me uh, even yesterday as I was reading through John 4, verses 13 and 14. It says, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give will never thirst again. In fact, the water I give them uh, will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And this like idea, that's another picture is how like eternal life can be experienced now. Like that, that's something that... Um, we saw a few weeks ago in John 3 of whoever believes type of idea, like we'll experience this life. And that's not something that it's like, hey, wait until you fly away one day. No, this is something God invites us to now. So that's another big thing. So you were talking about writing your sermons. Um, uh-huh. I would personally like to know what your sermon writing process looks like. Yeah. Yep. So um, I cheated. I uh, read Tim Keller's book on preaching. If you ever hear me preach, I love Tim <laughs> Keller. And yes, he all. makes it into almost yeah. every sermon. I've read, I think, every book he's ever written. I just got three new books from him today that came out today that I'll probably find time to read in the next couple of weeks only because it's Tim Keller. Whether I have time or not, I usually do that. But in the back of his book on preaching, he has just kind of a guide. And so I follow through that. Uh, the first thing he kind of challenges you to do is to discern the goal of the text. So before you go to any other resources, read through the passage twice and note anything that seems significant. You know, wrestle through that, try to figure out. Um, he kind of says, like, write a uh, running commentary. So anything that uh, not only stands out, but anything you have a question about. I think sometimes we had a tendency to read through passages and, like, we skip over the weird stuff because we think we should either have the answers already or um, we should just 
not question what it says, but there are times where like my sermon writing notes are like, what on earth is God talking about here? You know, like, why would he put this here? And so uh, beginning to make those notes to start and then reading through a couple more times after that and starting to ask the question, okay, what are words that are repeated or phrases that are repeated? What are the important connector words? Like, therefore, like, uh, since whatever it is, these words that connect different ideas, because that helps us follow what the author is trying to say. And then what are different metaphors or images? that are used in this passage. Um, that's a big one, I think, for um, like in preaching, because sometimes you are trying to figure out a way to illustrate this text and you realize, oh, wait, like the author already illustrated it for me. Like if I can just build on this image they already use, it'll probably help it connect. So that's especially kind of, in John. Yeah, especially in John. John is so poetically <laughs> written as you really look through it. It's amazing. Yep. And so after you do all that, uh, try to ask the question like, okay, so what was the main goal here? Like, why did the author use this? What's he trying to convey? Um, how would the meaning of this passage change if this idea wasn't here? And then from there, that's whenever you make sure you're not coming up with some new interpretation. You know, you go to some trusted resources. Um, again, I've got a bunch of commentaries on John that I bought whenever we found out we were going to go through this. Um, so I worked through some of those just to try to see, okay, is there something I've completely missed? Um, sometimes you jump to those things too quick and they end up writing your sermon for you. And that's always a dangerous place. You can um, sometimes sound real smart, but completely detach it from maybe what God's trying to teach you or your congregation. Somebody's got to remember that um, God's still speaking to us today. He uses his word powerfully, um, but um, you, you you don't want to um, just jump too quick to what someone wrote 30 years ago and miss out on that. So try to get in there to try to figure out, is there something going on with the original language that maybe I've missed here? Um, that's something we actually saw with um, Phil's messages last week. So Phil got into John 3, and he hit the passage there where it talks about God pouring out the Spirit without measure um, in that passage there. And uh, he had sent me a note, and so he and I kind of dialogue back and forth how it's a great opportunity to see how to read your Bible because you can read that one sentence there and detach it from everything around and just the like, okay, God gives the spirit without limit and not see that it's directly connected to the idea that like God is speaking through Jesus. And so like, he's like, that's true. Like God pours out his spirit on us, but in that passage specifically, he's talking about Jesus. And that was something where he and I both were interacting with the same commentary and we were able to be like, see, like, let's trace this idea and see, like, it's not that it's some new novel thought this guy has, but it's actually understanding the context it's in. So do some commentary work and then ask the context questions of it, of the actual um, passage. How does this fit into the larger book? Um, how does this fit into the larger narrative of the Bible? That's really big, especially when you're preaching in the Old Testament to figure out, okay, how's this tie to Jesus? Why is it here? Some of those questions. And then um, finally writing out, like, what is the goal of this text? And after you get to that final point, then I move into doing the theme for the passage. I'm big in believing that each passage probably has one meaning. It can have many applications, but probably one meaning for most texts. So trying to figure out, okay, what is that? And how do we want to communicate that? And then working through developing an outline around that and then trying to apply it from there. All right. So... In doing all of this study and even walking through this with our church each weekend, is there something that's particularly stuck out to you, uh, something new that you didn't learn at school um, this time around? Yeah, so uh, I would say a big thing for me uh, has actually been uh, through just my personal devotional time. And so I'm a little bit ahead right now. I'm 
in John. I just went from 17 to 18 this morning, but they're near the end. And I just went through John 14 a couple of uh, days ago. And then it was the second time I'd read it in a couple of weeks. But one of the things in John 14 is John 14, 6 is a popular verse. It's uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the thing that like stood out to me is sometimes that's like a, something we are just like, okay, like this is for people outside of Jesus. You know, you see, Jesus is the one and only way. But the context there that uh, John's kind of using this in is, or that Jesus uses it in, is Jesus says like, um, don't let your hearts be troubled. Like, I'm going away. Um, but like, I'm going to prepare a place for you, you know, and they're having that question, but like, what if we don't know how to get to you? What if we kind of get stuck back here kind of idea? And Jesus says like, I am the way, the truth and the life. So for me, like it was going back to seeing like how central just believing in Jesus is and recognizing his person and recognizing that like John three sixteen is for me and for my neighbor and for my enemy and for everyone else. But me as someone who's been trying to follow Jesus for a while now, like I still need that same truth that God loves me, that Jesus didn't leave me here alone and that he's walking through things with me. So that was a, I, I hate for that to be my new great revelation that I had, but it was, it was that idea that like John 14, six, that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life is something for me <laughs> as much as it is anyone else. So that was big for me. So Andrew, as we talk about the sermon process, um, you talked about your personal study process. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about maybe some of that behind the scenes process uh, um, that's amongst the team, like the creative yeah. team, the preaching team, and, and how that kind of works together? Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Uh, usually uh, 12 weeks out from a series starting, we get a group in the room together and we start reading through the passages we're going to preach through in a whole series. So we start working through that and we start asking the question like, okay, what's the main theme here in this passage? What's a big takeaway we think God is calling our church to? So that's not normally just an individual thing. That's something we try to do in community, trusting in God speaking to and through one another. So we do that process and then passages are assigned. And that's where sometimes that gets tweaked a little bit because you get st start digging into a passage and you're like, oh, wow, like we didn't do the work yet to really understand what's going on here. So Sometimes that gets tweaked a little bit, but uh, as we're studying through a passage, my typical week, it's funny, so I'll typically start writing or reading and writing on Monday. Um, hopefully I've read before that, but that Monday I'll start the actual writing process. And then the process for me uh, starting sometimes Monday afternoon is to start talking to people about what I think <laughs> is happening in this passage. And then that happens throughout the week. And then I, I'll send out the message usually on Wednesday to try to get some feedback from people of things like where they're like, hey, that's not clear at all. Or, hey, we think you uh, may be stuck too long on something that didn't really matter in this passage. And then Thursday is always a really neat time. Thursday afternoon, we got a group that gets together and um, we actually kind of preach the message or walk through the message and then uh, get feedback in that environment as well. And uh, that just always is extremely helpful to um, have people there who are trusted, who will tell you, hey, like, that's a great idea, but it's not really that important, like in the larger scheme of things, you know, it's mm -hmm. like some of those rabbit trails you can chase sometimes or hey, that was a great message, but what on earth does it have to do with my life? You know, to try sure. to like make sure that there's actually application happening or, hey, John made this really cool point here and you seem to skip over it. Or, hey, this illustration here was more distracting than it was helpful. And having some of that constructive feedback is huge just to make sure that we're um, clear and handling God's word rightly. And so um, those are some of the behind the scenes kind of things that happens in the 
process of a sermon being written here. All right. Thanks to Andrew Bondrant for that. And thank you all so much for joining us for this episode one of our Living and Loving Like Jesus podcast. Now, we hope that you've learned more of what it means to live and love like Jesus while getting a bit of a you know, behind the scenes look at how our church's leadership team arrived at and how they view and implement our church's mission and how our preaching team develops their weekend messages as well. And we're going to continue to learn more about these things as well as other ways that we see the members of our church body working together as we all learn to live out our mission to live and love like Jesus. Yeah, and remember, if you have questions or comments, just text us at 812-432-1820 or email us at online at cccgo.com. So next week, we hope you'll join us for episode two as we look at the Lenten concept of leaving behind our own lesser loves for God's greater love. In the meantime, we look forward to seeing you this weekend at any one of our three campuses, either Newburgh, Evansville, or online. And we encourage you to go out and live in love like Jesus.